Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton from BASF. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager at BASF and Manager of our E3 Sustainable Cotton Program. I'm excited again today to be joined by Andrew Ola and Bob Anishak of Ola Inc. So, Bob, Andrew, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing well, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Another day in paradise. <laughs> I know, I know, and what a week um, and year 2020 has been. <laughs> I'm not ready to get off this paradise island, um, but today we're going to do, um, you know, our fourth episode of our new series, uh, Debunking Myth Stories series, and, you know, super excited because this has been a wonderful series to hear the different stories and of those in the industry who are challenging the status quo and, you know, going against the grain and being the leaders and the entrepreneurs and those who are daring to ask why, why not, why can't something be done? So, um, you know, today's guest is someone I'm excited to introduce. He's a veteran of the industry. So it is my um, uh, pleasure to introduce to you our guest, um, Bill Ballenden. And Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast with us. And, you know, I know Bob and Angie and I are here and in morning time. So I guess, hey, good afternoon to you. <laughs> In your part of the world. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Jennifer, and thank you very much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we kind of get into some of the questions and um, all the things, I know Andrew, Bob, and I know myself um, have a lot of questions. I'd love for you to maybe take the time and introduce yourself to our audience and um, kind of walk us through some of your career in cotton, just to kind of lay some of that groundwork of, you know, your expertise in the area. Sure thing, Jennifer. Thank, and thanks again for inviting me. It's uh, really exciting to, to do this podcast. Um, so I, uh, I haven't heard myself described as a veteran, um, but I guess uh, in some ways I am. I, I've been in the business for, well, it'll be 25 years soon. Um, and I started my career in a, a, a cotton town, Liverpool in the UK, um, as a trader working for Cargill Cotton. Um, during that time, I was lucky enough to live in West Africa for a year and set up some origination uh, networks there. Um, after Cargill, I worked for The Seam, which is a, a U.S. online marketplace for cotton. And, and that was incredibly valuable for me to be able to see uh, how the power of technology can uh, improve efficiencies within our business. Um, and after the seam, where I, I worked both in Memphis in the US uh, and out of the UK, um, I worked for Louis Dreyfus Company, LDC. And in my time there, 11 years, um, I worked in Switzerland, in India, in China, uh, back in Switzerland again, before finally uh, deciding that I wanted to plow my own furrow and launch Dragon Tree. Uh, as an online marketplace for electronic auctions for cotton. And that's what I'm doing now. Wow, that's, um, it, it's, that's in very interesting and great um, history. And, you know, we had um, someone on earlier from Louis Dreyfus and just the whole merchant trading, that whole piece of it. You guys, um, I'm, I'm just kind of enamored with that and how fast your brains work and move in pieces and everything. So um, that's pretty exciting history that you had there, Bill. And, you know, and I think, you know, with everyone that we ask um, on the show and that we've had on these different episodes, you know, with everything that's happening. So, you know, especially now during COVID, I mean, we're 
all middle of August. Um, and you know, COVID's changed things. So how, from your side of it, how, how are things going within the industry? Uh, just with COVID and other things that have happened this year. Yeah, sure, Jennifer. Well, as you, as you would imagine, it's been incredibly challenging. Um, the USDA cut global cotton consumption by around 20% for 1920. And when you consider that we were already halfway through the marketing year, which runs from August to July, when COVID hit, it's an incredible shock to the system. Um, prices collapsed, and many mills and textile companies found themselves in a really bad place. Uh, we're, we're, we're lucky at the, the raw cotton end of the supply chain, as our contracts are governed by the rules and bylaws of the International Cotton Association, which we, we call the ICA. But at the garment end of the supply chain, no such protection exists. So, you know, you had two very different situations. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, actually. Uh, but it, it, while demand was being destroyed, uh, shops, as we have all seen, shopping malls, shops, the high street was all shutting down, production of cotton has continued. And so farmers continue to produce cotton. And despite the very sharp fall in price, they still need to sell that cotton and they need to sell it at market. Um, so two very different stories, uh, if you like. But it's the demand that has really been affected by COVID. Yeah, and you're exactly right. You know, Bill, it, it's kind of what I do a lot of it um, through our E3 um, sustainable cotton program at BASF is really work with our farmers and try to find ways in which we can, you know, get the value um, back to those growers. Because like you said, there's so many different things and moving pieces. And these guys are the ones feeding, clothing the world and, you know, working every day to have stuff. Um, so really looking forward to hearing your thoughts around, um, you know, what's going to happen with, you know, the industry being shut down with, um, the consumption and all down. And, you know, I know, Bob, um, you guys, we've been talking about it. So, Bob, I'm sure you had some questions um, for Bill as well. Thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, I do. Uh, Bill, uh, good afternoon. It's good to chat with you again. Um, was wondering if you could talk a bit about Dragon Tree, explain the uh, platform to us. Yes, sure, Bob. Uh, thank you. And nice to talk to you again. Um, so, well, I, I conceived Dragon Tree in 2017, and I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd been kind of thinking about it for a while, but in 2017 really decided that uh, it was time to, uh, to actually do something about it. Uh, it took several months to develop, um, but was launched in October 2018. Um, as a platform or a marketplace that would allow cotton farmers in primarily Brazil and Australia, to auction their cotton electronically. The goal was to give the farmer greater control over the way they market their commodity and to promote transparency and publish every negotiation and contract online. Our goal is and was to allow farmers to use that control in order to market their cotton more transparently and more efficiently. So since 2018, uh, we've been launching new features as the, the platform grows. Uh, and one, for instance, that's proved very popular is Buy It Now, um, which does exactly what it says. Uh, a farmer can, rather than wait for the auction to start, 
they can put a buy it now price on it and say, well, if you want it here and now, you're two clicks away from buying my cotton. And there's enormous value to knowing that when a farmer uploads his cotton online, he has the power to negotiate with multiple partners simultaneously. You know, our business has always been a little bit opaque and we want to get away from that. So the global cotton diaspora is spread all over the world in different locations and in very different time zones. It's no longer the case that all your buyers are in your own backyard and that you can meet them for coffee or even access them very simply um, through a broker or an agent. And what a global platform does very well is it shrinks the world and allows buyers to access offers in real time and on their time zones. So the buyer has real visibility on price and terms, while the seller is able to set those price and terms and wait for buyers to upload the offer, take a look, negotiate or confirm the business. Dragon Tree wants to challenge the traditional opaque nature of the commodity trade and to present a viable alternative vision, one of transparency, one of efficiency, and one of being able to shrink the world uh, into a small room for a small period of time and get the farmer the best price possible. Thanks, Bill, on that. Could you um, contrast your current service with the seams or the seam? Yes. I mean, there's, there's a couple of uh, important differences. One is, of course, that the SEAM operates only within the USA. So they op operate within one jurisdiction and they have the benefit of electronic warehouse receipts. And, and that's a, a, a very powerful tool because, because it allows the SEAM to clear every trade, to guarantee every trade and for payment to be against that electronic warehouse receipt. Now that doesn't exist outside the US. So we're trying to take innovation and present the farmer with a, a different way of achieving uh, reliability and efficiency by allowing them to choose which partners they invite to an auction while still offering anonymously. So you take the ego out of the negotiation but you know that if a contract is concluded, you will only conclude it with a partner who you have already pre-approved. So I'd say that that's um, that's a big difference with the SEAM. I mean, a, number one, we operate primarily outside the U.S. and the SEAM operates, well, 100% within the U.S. And then the, the different jurisdictions give us different tools which we have. The SEAM has EWR. We, we use partner matrices to, um, to give farmers and buyers the comfort of negotiating and concluding contracts. Do you ever see yourself coming into the U.S. as an alternative to the scene? Um, well, the short answer is uh, it's possible, um, but I don't know whether we would want to see ourselves as, an, as an, a direct competitor of the scene. Uh, potentially, we could come in on FOB level um, rather than um, coming into the interior of the U.S., potentially we could come into the port level, at FOB export bail level, and offer uh, a service there. But um, certainly the U.S. Is, is in our scope and is a market we would like to get involved with in the future, yes. 
See, I've always seen the seam as more of a service for the merchants trying to move cotton that they can't sell themselves. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong with that assumption. Yours, it sounds like it's more a direct farmer platform. Is that right? Ours is, yes. Ours is very much a platform for the farmer. Um, obviously, it's a platform for uh, buyers as well, which is mostly the merchants today, although we do have one mill online at the moment. Um, the seam does have grower cotton and it has merchant cotton. So um, I don't know that they would necessarily call themselves a merchant platform. I, I imagine they would see themselves as both a grower and a merchant platform. We certainly see ourselves as a grower platform. And, and so wherever there is value and we can drive value to the farmer, I, I would like to go there. And if, if we see that opportunity in the U.S., then absolutely. Bill, it's Andrew. <clears throat> it's, Hi, nice Andrew. To, it's nice to have you here. I know you're on holidays. Um, thank you for doing this. Um, I have a question. Um, how do you see your your platform working for brands and retailers? How can they engage in, in the, your, your view in the platform? Hi, Andrew. Yeah, nice to talk to you again. Um, well, today we don't have, as far as Dragon Tree is concerned, we don't have much interaction directly with brands and retailers today. Uh, we currently host farmers and traders, and we have a spinning mill online as well. And we're we're really just kind of exiting, if you like, the startup phase of our business. We've been in business for only a year and a half, just over a year and a half. Um, and while we've had some nice and sometimes surprising successes, we, we traded nearly 100,000 tons now, we still have a, a lot of growing to do. Um, and I do expect the profile of our buyers to change over time as the marketplace matures. And with that, I would hope that more end users would want to get visibility on the provenance of their cotton. And I think that is where we potentially do uh, interface with the brands and retailers. We've seen that need for visibility on provenance in coffee, for instance, where there was perhaps more urgency because it's a consumable good. And uh, it's something that, you know, once you're putting it into your body, people feel a little bit more strongly about perhaps. But... Textiles will grow in that direction as well, and people will want to know about provenance. Uh, they will want to know where uh, their textiles come from, whether it's clothing, whether it's home textiles. Um, and when it's made from cotton, they will want to know a little bit more about where it's from and the manner in which it was produced. Um, and there's a lot of reputational risk that exists about finding the wrong cotton in your supply chain in your supply chain and discovering that the provenance is questionable on your cotton products and so i think as brands and retailers focus more on provenance on transparency and ultimately on traceability probably produced bale uh, which is transparently uh, bought and ultimately one day traceable back to the farm. That's got to be worth something to many of the consumers. And so I think it's got to be worth something to brands and retailers. And I look forward to the day when we can have that conversation and start to put more uh, transparency into our supply chain. Um, obviously as a startup, we're still growing into this trend, uh, uh, but we're very much looking forward to one day being able to engage with brands and retailers around this subject giving real visibility as origin.
So if if you look at the long term and you were to just imagine what your 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 platform would be like, let's say three to five years from now, how would it be in, in a perfect world for you? Well, I mean, you know, it depends how. Yeah, you know, when you're really looking long term, we want to be the go-to marketplace for transparent, sustainable, and ideally, Andrew, traceable supply of raw cotton. Uh, I mean, imagine a world where a brand or retailer could go online and be able to look through the supply chain or potentially nominate their supply chain and say, look, I want, I want those bales, those bales, and those bales from these three different origins. And I want those ones in my supply chain because that's the story I want to tell my consumer. And if I can get those bales, and if I can secure the supply chain and ensure that it's uncontaminated, then I can tell that story with confidence. Uh, when I look at the long term, and I want to dream a little bit, that's what excites me, is that possibility of providing a portal to brands and retailers for them to, to be able to tell a, a viable and credible and a story they're proud of to their users and for those users to be willing to pay for that story and for that premium to flow back to the farmer and, and to compensate them for the hard work they do in putting together a sustainable and well-produced bale. Because the, the, cotton's got a great story, a really great story. And sometimes that story is not sung loudly enough. And, and I think if it is, and end users realize all the hard work that goes into it, then compensating the farmer for that work would, would be fantastic. And I'd love to be part of that. Well, that sounds amazing. And uh, I think everybody in this call uh, shares the, the dream with you. Indeed. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about your successes and, and also the obstacles to success? What has been the biggest obstacle that you've had to face for obstacles? Sure thing, Andrew. Um, gosh, where do I start with the obstacles? Um, <laughs> you know, anyone, anyone who's ever started a business will know that the first 18 months are a real roller coaster. So, I mean, today the biggest success I can point to is the fact that, well, we're still here. You know, we started <laughs> a business in, uh, in cotton, which is not exactly known for its... Uh, innovative, cutting-edge um, uh, manner of approaching business. So we're, we, we've started a new business. It's innovative. It's trying to change the status quo, and we're still here, which I'm honestly very proud of. Uh, so that's probably the biggest success to date. Um, the, the biggest challenge is change, is behavioral change. Um, you know, we've developed a tool for farmers to merchandise their cotton on a platform with multilateral negotiations and 100% transparency. Most farmers are used to opaque bilateral negotiations. And that change, as, as intuitive as it sounds, is harder than I imagined. The only obstacle to growth is attitude. Uh, an online platform and auctions and electronic marketing they are more efficient, end of story. Uh, transparency is better for, for the farmer, end of story. Uh, traceability will be more important than ever to comply with brand-driven ESG policies, end of story. Uh, these trends, these innovations are more efficient, but changing behavior, um, 
priming attitudes for change is harder than I imagined. And, that, and that's the biggest obstacle we have. I think once the consumer gets visibility on the provenance of their clothing, then they won't want to go back. And there will be significant dividends from first mover advantage. I, I think transparency builds trust. Maybe it's even better to say that if you are not willing to be transparent, then one might wonder, what is it you're trying to hide? And, and so I think changing those attitudes is going to be really hard but, and continues to be really hard. But, but once we do it, I don't think there'll be any going back. You know, and I will, those three words that you, um, you know, you said the traceability, the transparency, the sustainability, um, Bill, those are the three main foundations of our E3 sustainable cotton program. Um, you know, you mentioned the premiums back to the farmers. That is one thing that we, you know, BASF with our program, um, we do. Nowhere else is there, you know, program that does that that helps give value and premiums back to the farmers. And we're always looking for those partners you know, who have that same vision. Um, because like you said, you know, transparency builds trust and the traceability, transparency and all that. And, you know, just as important of what's consumers, what's going in your body, you know, is, is what's going on in your body, um, you know, or that you're using. And so we definitely, um, that's why I'm excited to talk to you today because we have that same vision of those three things that are important with what we're doing. Um, you know, and if we talk about sustainability and, you know, sustainable cotton and a lot of things are being claimed. Um, a lot of claims are being going on and, and different things about it. But what role do you see Dragon Tree um, playing or, or hoping or helping to do in bringing sustainable cotton to the industry? Because it, it sounds like, you know, it, it's really important to you. Yes, it, it is very important to me, Jennifer. I, you know, in my previous role, I was responsible for uh, you know, cotton sustainability globally, uh, when I, when I worked at Dreyfus, and it's something that, that I believe in. Um, now, now, most of the cotton that trades from farmers on Dragon Tree is sustainable. Um, but as a startup, uh, we haven't yet built our own sustainability policy, as frankly, our focus has been on building a business and staying alive through the last six months of COVID-driven demand yeah. destruction and, and general chaos. Um, but I, I will say this, which, which is that Cotton lends itself to a sustainability story very well. There, there are a lot of half-truths and, and even outright lies told about cotton, whether it's water usage or the environmental impact of cotton. Um, yeah, for instance, Dragon Tree is discussing at the moment with a, a potential partner about how to build better sustainability data for farmers in Australia and Brazil and then how to make that data available to buyers on our platform. And, and I really hope we can develop that into something concrete and usable because, again, one of, one of the, the good things about a transparent online platform is that you cut out all the bluster and BS that surrounds some of the stories or even pricing of cotton. And, and in the end, if they be worth something to brands and retailers, and that something can, can flow back to the farmer. This is what brands and retailers really need. And, and they can help tell the truth about this great natural fiber. You know, I see, I see sustainability as very much being part of the dragon tree story as we, we build out from here and it goes hand in hand with, with transparency. Yeah, and that's one thing, you know, we've got, um, and we'll, one of our 
future episodes, um, one of the things that we've really done that no one else has done in the industry is look at them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's so great, but I'm excited to have, you know, continue building that network. Um, even though, you know, you're, um, well, I spent a lot of time in Brazil and Australia, but, you know, here in the U.S., that's one thing we've really done is build out our platform and excited to, you know, share that because the hard data, that that's what's missing and what's needed um, because there is a lot of claims being made and, um, you know, the story, the, the truth isn't being told on a lot of the stuff. So excited to see how that goes. Um, when you look at the um, deal with your area and you guys kind of start up, it sounds like you've had pretty good success. So can you share, um, you know, how many farmers participate in your program so far and how, you know, how many bales you guys have been trading and doing? Yes, of course, Jennifer. Um, so our farmers are mostly from Australia and Brazil, uh, which was, they were our target markets at launch. Uh, we've signed up between the two markets, just over 100 farmers. Um, but when you take into account that some of those signups are actually cooperatives in Brazil, then, you know, we've got uh, over 80 farmers in Brazil and over 50 in Australia who are, are signed up. And, and of course, these are the size of the farmer is pretty big in, well, it's very big in Brazil and still pretty big in Australia. Um, you know, many of th these farmers, they, they farm thousands and thousands of hectares or tens of thousands of acres of, of cotton. Um, they each have an individual login, can upload forward or spot offers, and we've, we've developed quite well a kind of recap uh, system for Brazil and Australia where they can upload their recap and allow buyers to forward that recap to mills around the world so that, that, that merchants can take a bid from a mill and turn around and put in a small margin and bid the farmer. Um, we've also developed a buy it now, which has worked very well in Australia where they sell cotton in Australian dollars per bale. And so you have the Forex and the futures working at the same time and can often mean that, you know, a price in Australian dollars per bale that didn't look great yesterday can look really good today. And, uh, and that's proved to be a success. Um, you know, in terms of what we're trading, um, our, our target this year is to trade somewhere around 80,000 tons um, this calendar year. We're, we're on target for that right now. Um, we traded uh, around 45,000 last year. Um, so we're looking to double our volume. And then in 2021, we want to triple it again. We, we really want to go after growth in 2021. Um, you know, we, we, we run the auction. If it gets to auction, if the buy it now is not hit. Uh, and that auction platform like eBay, you know, it's, it's, you see the high bid. If the high bid hits or is higher than the reserve price, because, of course, buyers can keep bidding after the reserve price is hit, then the trade is goes ahead automatically. And, and if not, then the seller has five minutes at the end of the auction to send a counter offer to the high buyer and, and give them a, another go at buying that cotton. You know, our goal is to drive the traffic, to drive deals to the farmer. Um, and importantly, every contract is subject to ICA bylaws and rules. And, and we think that's important to protect both the buyer and seller uh, in, in case at a later date there is any problem with the contract. So we have full transparency on price terms. And if a trade is done, it's, it's immediately archived and made available to all other users. So everyone can learn from the, the recent transactions. And we think that adds value to the farmer as well. If they're able to log on, 
see the archive, see what's traded, see the terms, and maybe learn something from previous deals. So, but it's uh, yeah, it has been successful, and we're, we're very proud of where we've got to today. I mean, we've been through a hundred-year drought in Australia. We've been through the trade war. Uh, we're going through COVID. I mean, if you could uh, probably write the copy book for when not to launch a new business in cotton, we, we pretty much picked it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, like I told you earlier, I think I'm at the point. I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and decorate the house for the holidays and just let it be, and let's just let it be done with this year. <laughs> I know. With everything I know. we've had. <laughs> Phil, Phil, this is Andrew. I have a question for you. With all the craziness going on in China with the Sinjin cotton forced labor allocations, what has this meant to your business? And what is this doing with the demand and Providence? And how's the impact for Dragon Tree? If well, any- Andrew, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a complicated question. Uh, Dragon Tree doesn't actually um, run a business in China. So we don't trade Chinese cotton. So uh, that, that effectively means that. We, we don't have to worry too much about the provenance of the cotton on our platform because it's, it's Brazilian, it's Australian, there's the odd bit of US, West African. Uh, we've had some South African, a bit of Greek, um, but we haven't had any Chinese cotton and we don't offer Chinese cotton. But that issue itself um, has been starting to, to gain a lot of media coverage over the last six months, even though... It was there for a couple of years previously, and um, I think it's a pretty big deal, uh, and I think it's a big deal for supply chains. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that BCI looked very closely at the farm level situation in Xinjiang, uh, and I'm sure that retailers must be looking very closely at the spinning, weaving, and garment manufacturing that goes on in Xinjiang that, that's substantial. Um, evidence, uh, that re-education institutions do exist in Xinjiang, uh, whether this is part of the textile supply chain, uh, whether it uh, is in the form of forced labor in the textile supply chain is much harder to ascertain. And that's something I'm sure retailers and brands are looking at very closely. But if the answer was to be yes, then I'm sure that buyers would want to know. And they'd want to know and be sure that their clothing or home textiles did not form part of that supply chain. So I can only imagine the retailers and brands with a strong ESG policy would not want to support such a supply chain if, if it did prove to be the fact. So I, I can see this being a, a pretty big issue for, for the supply chain. Bill, it's Bob. Um... A specific question about COVID, actually. Uh, you, we, you, we, you've discussed this earlier, but was curious about how has the COVID situation impacted uh, cotton contracts? Have there been a lot of cancellations? Um, have retail cancellations downstream resulted in uh, disruptions at the cotton level? Yeah, Bob, that's a really good question and a bit of a sad state of affairs. Um, we, we've all heard the, the rumors about some, uh, and you know, I would stress not all, but some brands and retailers canceling uh, garment orders. Um, before addressing that, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning how contracts are governed at, at the raw cotton end of the supply chain. So, you know, most contracts that for the export of raw cotton and 
let's remind ourselves that's a 13, 14 billion dollar industry. Most of those contracts are subject to the bylaws and rules of the IPA. And the ICA is a neutral arbitral body which ensures English law governs contracts made according to their bylaws and rules. And if a contract breaks down, it's either amicably negotiated or it's taken to arbitration. But in no circumstances can it be cancelled. And that's a very important point. You cannot cancel a raw cotton contract subject to ICA bylaws and rules. So if I bought from a farmer at 100 and the market fell to 80 and I did not want to take delivery at 100, I would have to compensate the farmer for the 20 he's losing or risk winding up on the list of unfulfilled awards, which will mean I can't trade with ICA members. And I think at the retail end, no such discipline exists. And cancellation of orders from retailers have happened and they're catastrophic because they leave the mill or the weaver, the garment manufacturer, with a cancelled sales contract. But at the other end, the cotton purchase contracts, they have to perform. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place with nowhere to go. And that's not fair. And personally, I would love to see better discipline further downstream around contract sanctity a similar discipline to that which we have at the raw cotton end. And, and that's good to know because, um, and you make an excellent point, and um, I'm getting educated as we go through this bill because I didn't realize some of that, and you're right. Like it's, you know, where's some of that accountability throughout the whole value chain on things? So that is definitely something, um, like you said, it, it, something that should be looked at and addressed. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting with that piece of it. Um, but Bill, you know, I really do appreciate you being on today and it was really great to talk to you. And I know we are about out of time. Um, and, um, I could definitely just sit and talk all day because you do have a, uh, very wealth of knowledge. So we appreciate you coming on and, um, sharing that with our audience. But if our audience, um, does have any questions, where or how are they able to contact you? Well, thank you, Jennifer. I must say it's been a real pleasure to talk uh, with you, with Andrew, with Bob. Um, it seems like we share many of the, much of the same vision and, and you, you could call them dreams, but you've got a dream, right? So Exactly. <laughs> um, so, no, it's been a real pleasure to join you. Thank you very much. And if anyone did want to contact me, they'd be very welcome. I always answer my emails and it's easy to get hold of me. It's bill at dragontree.co. Awesome. Well, great. Well, we appreciate that again, Bill and Bob and Andrew. Appreciate you guys being on today. Um, but I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and hope you enjoyed our show. Should you have any questions about the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program, please email me at e3cotton at basf.com. Until next time.